This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Amen. Please be seated. Isn't that a great song, words? He will hold me fast. I wonder if we believe that. Our second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, and then we skip to verses 33 through 42. Luke says, Now many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. A great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Then the high priest took action, he and all who were with him, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, being filled with jealousy, arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go, stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. Then in verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, Consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him. And when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And as they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. Let's bow for prayer.
Gracious God, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. And so we just look to you to guide and lead us and teach us the great teacher that you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm actually uh, glad I'm not, in one sense, that I'm not uh, preaching on stewardship today because I don't think I could say anything better than what Greg said a few minutes ago. In fact, I was almost tempted to say, great sermon, Greg. Let's sing our final hymn. We're done. We can decorate the church early and be home. Um, uh, so thank you, Greg. Uh, you know, those are such good words for all of us to remember. One of the things that really caught me, Greg, is I, too, am a classic middle child. I have two older brothers, or did, two younger brothers, so I'm right in the middle, that uh, third of five. And so I hear you, brother, everything you said, I was saying amen to. I was saying amen to. Be interesting for us to go around sometimes and just dis describe where we are in the birth order, because it is such a fascinating study in terms of how you live your life. But we'll leave all that there. Today's sermon is the last in a series of sermons that we have been doing from the book of Acts, on the book of Acts. And we've been calling this, this series of sermons, what is this thing called the church? And we have been focusing on the book of Acts, not only because it gives us a vivid description of what it was like to be the early church, but also because these, these chapters give us some idea of what it's like for us to be the church today in the 21st century. In the past several weeks, we have been focusing especially on the ministry of Peter and John, some of the other apostles, but especially Peter and John, and especially their healing of ministry, their, their ministry of teaching and healing, and especially their healing. And the reaction of both the crowds of people who were around them and also the religious leaders that were there. And we have seen that whenever Peter and John or one of the apostles healed somebody, the crowds of the people were amazed. They loved it. They thought that was really cool. But the religious leaders were not so impressed. Can, is this uh, making a little sound here? Am I okay? I think I'm good. Um, and when the apostles explained that it was in the name of Jesus that they were proclaiming doing these healings, the religious leaders were less impressed. They didn't like what Peter and John were doing. And in our scripture lesson this morning from Acts chapter 5, we once again see the apostles getting themselves into hot water for their continued healing. They're teaching too, but especially their healing. We are told in verse 16, and hopefully you've got the scripture open in front of you. It's actually helpful to grab your pew Bible and have that because we do refer to it, or if you bought a Bible with you. Verse 16, Luke says that a great number of people from cities all around Jerusalem were now bringing their sick and the demon possessed to the apostles. It started out just one guy. Remember the one guy that they healed, the, the guy who couldn't walk, and now... They've got a reputation and people are bringing all kinds of people as you would expect would happen. And they were curing them. And again, these same religious leaders were not at all happy about this. So they decided that they needed to take even more drastic action than they took the times before. 
and they threw the apostles into prison, hoping that would put an end to it. And did it put an end to it? No. <laughs> Luke tells us in verse 19 that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and set them free. Sometimes it'd, sometime it'd be interesting to just do a little more study of angels in the New Testament because angels have these very interesting roles that they play. And here's one of those times when an angel helps free Peter and John to the dismay of the religious leaders. And at this, the religious leaders became enraged and they wanted to do away with them entirely. They wanted to kill them. Verse 33. Now, there's a whole lot that we could say about this story. And we had to skip over some of the verses just because it's a long story. And there are, I think, a number of lessons we can learn from this passage. But I want to highlight for you just three things briefly that stood out to me as I was going over these verses. Again, there's a lot that we could say, but just three things especially um, that I think are helpful for us to remember as we seek to be a witness for Jesus Christ here in Newburyport or wherever we are, and especially in a culture that seems to be increasingly hostile, maybe unfriendly towards Jesus and the Christian faith. First of all, I think these verses remind us that when we are faithful to Jesus in our words and also in our actions, we can expect sometimes that we will face opposition. We will experience some resistance. We might encourage, if you will, some persecution. Now, for those of us living in the United States and Canada, that persecution most of the time will not involve threats of being killed or being thrown in jail as it was for Peter and John and the other apostles. Generally speaking, it will not involve bodily suffering as it did for those early disciples and as it does for so many believers in the world today. I read an article, an online article this week in Forbes magazine about how many Christians around the world are facing suffering and persecution because of their faith. I think sometimes we don't realize how true that is. And the author of this article said this, she said, newly published data, and this was data from 2019 and 2020. She said, newly published data revealed that more than 340 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith. She said, she said, among this number, 309 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer very high, or she used the word extreme, levels of persecution. And then she said this, uh, she said, on average, every day, 13 Christians are killed for their faith. 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. 12 Christians are unjustly arrested detained or imprisoned and five Christians are abducted for faith related reasons. She concludes by saying this. She says in the 21st century, it is still not possible to practice religion or belief safely, at least, at least in parts of the world. And as I was reading this, an example that quickly came to mind, uh, you may remember last month, a group of 17 missionaries 
including children, were kidnapped in Haiti. Remember that story? These missionaries from Ohio had only been in the country, I think, just a short time, a day or two, uh, before they were kidnapped. And apparently they were on, on their way home or on their way to where they were staying when they were kidnapped. And the kidnappers, if you remember, demanded how much? A million dollars for each one of the people they kidnapped. And I looked and I was wondering, well, whatever happened to that story? And as of Friday, at least as of Friday, they have not been released. I don't even think they know where they are still. And as I was reflecting on that, I was reminded of, our, of the danger that so many people in these other places live in. And I thought of our, our nephew, Ryan, who lives in Haiti. He and his family uh, oversee a Christian orphanage in Haiti with another ministry. And they have lived in Haiti for several years and they live about five hours from Port-au-Prince. And as you probably know, the US government has been saying recently, or at least a couple weeks ago, encouraging American citizens to leave Haiti since it is not a particularly safe place for Americans to be and for Christians to be if you're a follower of Jesus. Three weeks ago, Ryan had to come back to the United States, to Seattle actually, to have some medical work done. And his mom was describing for us what it took for him to get out of the country. And apparently they were very concerned for his safety and some militant groups have especially targeted Christians as like with the missionaries. And so they had to get Ryan somehow from the village that he's living in, which is about five hours from Port-au-Prince, to Port-au-Prince, which was a task in itself, and then from Port-au-Prince to the airport, which is a very short distance, but they were especially concerned uh, for his safety there. And as I understand it, they basically had to smuggle Ryan out of Haiti in a great big van. Apparently, he sat in the very back, slouched down with dark windows. He had two huge Haitian people there, part of his ministry, who were um, kind of as guards for him just in case there was a problem. Now, fortunately, he got out okay. But the Forbes article and Ryan's attempts to get out of Haiti is a reminder that many places in the world today, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are serving local people, it can, can have dangerous consequences. And again, unlike many places in the world, you and I probably will not face repercussions for our Christian faith and witness as severe as that. And that, and though, even though that is true, we can expect that not everyone is always going to be overjoyed with or receptive to our being a follower of Jesus. This is a very small thing, but I remember when I was a student at Western Washington University, many years ago as a secular university. And I was always amazed at how hostile some students and faculty were to anything Christian on campus. Now there were Christians on campus, but for instance, it seemed like anytime anyone put up flyers or posters advertising any kind of group or function on campus, it didn't matter how weird or or, or strange it might be, remember this was the 70s. Those posters and flyers stayed up for a long time. No one ever touched them. But every time we put up a flyer or a poster for any kind of Christian 
gathering or function, it seemed like it was immediately torn down. Now, I always found that to be so interesting. And I can't say for sure why they were torn down. But it felt to me like the reason was because there was a strong bias, at least by some, on campus against anything Christian. Again, this kind of hostility is very mild compared to what we are talking about for most people in many places in the world. But the point is simply this. When we are faithful to Jesus in our words and in our actions, when we seek to follow him in our lives, we can expect sometimes to face pushback, to face opposition, maybe to get some resistance, even when we do things that are good, because the world does not always want or value what Jesus has to give them. We just want to make sure that when we do experience hostility or opposition to our faith, it is not because we are a bad witness or because we have said or done something stupid or unchristlike. You know, if we say something stupid that is a poor witness or we do something that does not honor Christ or our neighbor, then we might get hostility or pushback to that and maybe that's well-deserved. Secondly, these verses remind us that if we rarely or never experience opposition or pushback or negative repercussions because of our faith, if we never experience that because of our allegiance to Jesus, then it could be that we are doing or saying something wrong, that we are not doing a very good job of living out our faith before others. In our scripture lesson this morning, the first scripture lesson, a lesson from the Gospel of John, Jesus assures us that in this world we will have tribulation. There will be times of hardship. There will be difficulties. We can expect that. And I was, as I was reading that, this, I was thinking, but do we experience that? And if we don't, why don't we? Why don't we experience any of that hostility or pushback? Now, I don't know about you, but I never get out of bed in the morning and say to myself, boy, I hope I suffer for the faith today. I hope I experience some good persecution because of what I believe about Jesus. I hope somebody really gives it to me because of my faith. I never get out of bed saying that. And I would suggest to you that if you do, you might want to see a good therapist. You know, few of us are looking for trouble because of what we believe. Jesus does not say we need to go looking for trouble. But here is the point. If we never experience any kind of resistance, any kind of pushback, any kind of opposition for being a follower of Jesus, then a case could be made that maybe we're not a very good follower of Jesus. Maybe we are keeping our faith a little too low profile. Maybe we are hiding our faith so that no one ever sees it. No one has anything to negatively react to. Speaking of hiding reminds me of a telemarketer who called a home one day and a small voice answered the telephone and whispered, 
hello? And the telemarketer said, hello, what's your name? Still whispering, the voice said, Jimmy. How old are you, Jimmy? I'm four. Good, is your mother home? Yes, but she's busy. OK, is your father home? He's busy, too. I see. Who else is there? The police. <laughs> the police? May I speak to one of them? They're busy. Any other grown-ups there? The firemen. May I speak with the firemen, please? They're all busy. Jimmy, all those people in your house, and I can't talk with any of them, what are they doing? Looking for me, whispered Jimmy. I love that story. Jimmy was hiding. Hiding reminds me of when our son Peter was about that age, maybe two or three, a little younger. Debbie and I were doing some shopping in a department store. I might have told you this story before. We were doing some shopping in a department store in a mall one time. Apparently, I was looking for shoes. I don't remember that. She remembered that. Uh, and then um, we must have found the shoes. And we were going up to, to uh, check out. And we noticed that Peter was no longer with us. Debbie thought I had him. I thought she had him. But he wasn't there. We were afraid that maybe someone had kidnapped him. If you remember in the 90s, there was a lot of mall kidnappings going on of kids. And we had just had a kidnapping in this mall recently before, so we were really aware of it. And um, we desperately looked for Peter for what seemed like hours, although it was just, I think, a few minutes. And we had a bunch of other people looking for him, too. Finally, our daughter, Rachel, who was also with us, heard Peter sneeze. And we realized that he had been hiding all that time in a circular clothes rack real, not very far from where we were. He was playing hide and seek. He was hiding himself. And when we found him, all these people who were looking clapped. You know, it was kind of a great deal. Debbie was afraid that her mom would be sorry that she lost her grandson, you know, so we needed to find him. Uh, that would not look good. I mention this because sometimes I wonder if maybe we need to ask ourselves if we are not experiencing any pushback or resistance or negative consequences because of our faith. Is it because we are hiding, hiding our faith? not showing it very well. Third, I believe these verses teach us that not only will we sometimes face resistance or pushback when we are faithful to Jesus, but when we do, we need to be sure, we can be sure that Jesus will help us, give us the strength and resources we need to carry on. We've already noted uh, that while they were in prison, God provided an angel to open the prison doors in verse 19. And so God provided for Peter and John. And just when it looked like Peter and John and the other apostles were really going to feel the wrath of these religious leaders, they were going to kill them. God provided an unlikely ally in a guy named Gamaliel, who was a well-known teacher of the law and well-respected. And in verses 35 and following, Gamaliel speaks 
in the apostles' defense and says that if what the apostles are saying and, and doing is not of God, if it is of human origin, then it will fail. You can count on it. But if it is indeed of God, then they don't want it to be standing in the way of God, of what God might be doing. And fortunately, Gamaliel was able to convince these religious leaders, and after flogging them, which was not a pleasant experience, Peter and John were let go and were ordered not to say anything more about Jesus, but of course they did, right? If this one man, Gamaliel, had had a different opinion about the apostles, if he had supported killing them like the rest of the religious leaders did, then most likely the early church would have had a, a different story than it did. But here's the thing that really sticks out to me. In verse 41, Luke goes on to say, the apostles rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that? They rejoiced. They were glad. They were humbled. They were honored that they were chosen to suffer for Jesus through being thrown in jail and flogged and persecuted for the sake of Christ. I don't know about you, but when I think about suffering for Jesus, I don't immediately think to myself, gee, I wish I could do that. I don't. Maybe you do. But those early disciples were willing to do that, even though it was very risky for them to do so. And they did it joyfully, joyfully. And the question I find myself asking after reading this scripture again is simply this, how willing am I to suffer as those early apostles did and so many Christians do in the world today because of my faith in Jesus. Interestingly enough, the places in the world where Christianity is most vital and flourishing today is in places where there is persecution. You did not hear me say this, but sometimes I wonder if the church here in America could benefit from a bit more persecution. This reminds me, these verses remind me that when we face opposition because of our faithful witness to Jesus, we need to keep going. They remind us that when the going gets tough, when it got tough for the early disciples, the early apostles, they kept going. In Luke 42, it says, every day in the temple and at home, what did they do? It says, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus was the Messiah, even in the midst of the hostile kind of environment they were in. And it reminds us that when we face opposition because of our faithful witness to Jesus, we, knew, we too need to keep going. We too need to trust Jesus. How do we do this? Well, the same way that the early church did it. By relying not on ourselves, but on Jesus. Again, in, verse, in John 16, 33, the scripture we read, Jesus says, in the world you face persecution. He doesn't say you may face persecution or you possibly will. He says, in the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. We can only keep going when we keep our eyes fixed, our eyes fixed on 
him and the power of his Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we are humbled today as we sit here and we stand here and we think about the church today and especially how many of our brothers and sisters around the world suffer for their faith and how relatively comfortable we have it here in this country. And again, we're not looking for suffering. We're not looking to be persecuted, but Jesus did say that if we are faithful witness to him, we will get some resistance. We will face some opposition. And when we don't see that, we, we have to wonder. I have to wonder. Am I hiding my faith? Is my faith not showing? Is there nothing there to react to? And maybe, Lord, that's a question all of us need to ask ourselves this day. And we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are in such desperate need. And we ask that you would guide and direct them. And we do pray, Lord, that we would learn from them how we are to live our lives this day and every day. On this Thanksgiving Sunday, we are just so thankful for the freedoms, the opportunities you have given us in this country and to be, especially to be able to worship, to be able to freely exercise our faith. And we ask that you'd help us never to take that for granted. And we are so thankful for so many things on this day. We do, though, pray for those 17 missionaries that are still being held captive in Haiti. How frightening that must be. We ask that you would encourage them even now and pray for their release. Lord, we are grateful for all the many ways you have blessed us with gifts and talents and abilities, and even financially. And on this Stewardship Sunday, we want to bring not only our money to you, but our very lives. What you're really looking most from us is our very lives. And so we bring them to you today, and we pray that you'd help us be recommitted to following and serving you, to being a witness for you, as the early church was. They were not perfect. We are not perfect. But we ask that you would empower us with your spirit, that we might be the church you're calling us to be, here in Newburyport and the North Shore and wherever we might be. And so we ask and lift up all these things to you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In your bulletin, we have printed a litany of stewardship. And let's go ahead and we'll say this responsively as we um, give our tithes and offerings. And again, if you have your pledge card, you're welcome to put that in the offering 
plate as it goes by or mail that in or however you want to do that. So let's say it. Eternal God, we pray that we will make stewardship a way of life. We acknowledge you as a source of all we have and all we are. Space you, our loving creator, first in our lives by becoming more powerful, more focused on loving and caring for our families and our neighbors in need, and by becoming less preoccupied with material things. Help us to hear your call to be good stewards, caretakers, and managers of all your gifts by sharing them for your purposes. Help us make your priorities our priorities and to put our faith into action. Help us plan to give back the talents, treasures, and time with which we have been blessed. Help us plan to serve our church, our community, and our world with your gifts. May we serve you and pray with a joyful heart, spirit, mind, and heart. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.